Is AI revolutionary? In many ways, it's amplifying and echoing what already exists in society. And I just want to make sure that that's clear, that we shouldn't just cast blame at the tools only. It's just doing what we have already been doing in society. Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast, formerly the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. Each week, I speak to incredible people who are working on how we can get to next-level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making so we can keep ahead in an accelerating world. My guests share how they amplify their productivity, the success of organizations, and the potential of humanity by using an array of technologies, including AI, innovative processes, and sometimes simple everyday practices. I do this podcast to learn. I learn so much from every guest I speak to, and I'm sure you will too. But if you are intent on amplifying your cognition, simply go to amplifyingcognition.com to access a trove of useful resources, including the Humans Plus AI learning community, resources and downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thought Weaver app, which allows you to interface more effectively with AI, transcripts from all of our podcast episodes, and far more. That's amplifyingcognition.com. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to hear more and help others to find the podcast by liking or sharing. It makes a massive difference, so thank you. On this episode, we learn from Jeremiah Oyang. Jeremiah is an industry analyst based in Silicon Valley and advisor to Fortune 500 companies on digital business as well as an entrepreneur, investor, and the host of tech events, including some of the major AI events in the San Francisco Bay Area. He has a strong global profile and has appeared in publications including the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, USA Today, and Fast Company, and has spoken at many events around the world. You can find more on his work at web-strategist.com and on Twitter and many other social channels at joyang. J-O-W-Y-A-N-G. In this episode, Jeremiah shares insights on amplifying humanity, enterprise excellence, autonomous agents, centralized AI, business alignment, and much more. So keep listening to learn from this fantastic conversation with Jeremiah Oyang. Jeremiah, fantastic to have you on the show. Ross, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So you are deep, deep, deep into AI. And so I'd love to just sort of get the big picture perspective on what you're seeing happening and what the potential is, you know, this year, next year, beyond. Sure. I've been living in Silicon Valley since the dot-com era. So I've seen approximately five tech trends. And I haven't seen a movement this big, um, perhaps since the dot-com era. And there's, there's notable excitement and energy all across Silicon Valley and San Francisco. It, it is, it, it, you can touch it, you can feel it. And I attend at a minimum three AI events per week. Uh, so I can stay abreast of the rapid changes that are happening. Most of the AI startups and the, the foundational models are in the Bay Area. So it's happening here, plus the tech, big tech giants who are all moving into AI. And I also host an event series for AI startups called the Llama Lounge. That um, It's a clever name and hundreds sign up in uh, over 10 different startups uh, demo. So also, I am an investor in AI startups since 2017, and I'm working with a VC firm. And I'm doing some other things for corporate executives as well. So I'm definitely entrenched. And there is right now, Ross, in June, there were 84 AI events 
in in July, the quote slow month, there were 69 AI events. Those are just the public events that we know about. There's private events and co-working mansions and events with the tech CEOs. There is so much happening that I'm so excited to come share that knowledge with you today. Fantastic. So uh, we're particularly interested in the the humans plus AI. So humans are wonderful. AI is uh, has extraordinary capabilities. So from the big picture frame, well, how should we be thinking about humans plus AI? How humans can amplify their capabilities with AI? I think that word, that verb amplify is correct. And there's a book written by Reid Hoffman, uh, co-written with friends of mine called Impromptu that talks about AI amplifying humanity. And I think that is the right lens of this. Um, All tools that we've built technologies throughout the course of human history have done that. Um, From fire to splitting the atom to technology to AI. And I do believe AI is at that level. It is quite significantly going to change society in many ways. So the goodness of what humans desire, this tool will do that. The badness of the bad players, these tools will also amplify that as well. So it's for us to determine the course of how these technologies will be used. But there's something different here where the experts I know believe that we will see AGI, artificial general intelligence, equal to human intelligence within the decade. So this is the first time, Ross, that we've actually created a new species in a way. And I think that's something quite amazing and shocking. So these are tools that will amplify what we desire as humans, what we already do. So if we think frame AI as a new species, as you, as you put it, as a new novel type of intelligence, and, I, you know, and one of the key points is that it's not replicating human intelligence. Some AI has been trying to model human intelligence and neural structures. Others have been taking other pathways. So it becomes a different type of intelligence. So I suppose if we are looking to how we can complement uh, or collaborate then a lot of it is around that interface between different types of intelligence. So how can we best engineer that yeah, interface or collaboration between uh, human intelligence and what we're terming artificial intelligence? That's a great question. I think that we can use artificial intelligence to uh, do the chores and the tasks that are repetitive that we no longer really desire to do. Now, yes, let's acknowledge that there's a lot of fear that AI will replace humans. But when you dig deeper on what people are fearful of, they're actually more fearful of the income loss that they'll have. Um, In some of the repetitive roles, it's not always the things that they have sought after to do in their career. It's just the way that they landed in their career and they're doing tasks that are repeated over and over. Uh, But if it's just using a keyboard and you're repeating the same messages over and over, um, that is really not endearing to the human spirit. So this is where AI can help complement so we can level up and do tasks that require more empathy or connection with humans or unlock new creative outlets. So, so I think, well, one, one thing is obviously division of labor. All right, human does that, AI does that, or robots do this. But one of the, I think, what is more interesting is when we we are collaborating on tasks. So this could be from anything from, all right, I'm trying to create a, uh, build a new product. 
And there's many elements within that where we can, uh, human and AI can collaborate. Another could be strategic thinking. So in terms of how we build these together rather than dividing and separating, dividing and conquering. So how, do we, how is it that we can, where, are, where is it that we can bring together to, to collaborate effectively on, you know, particularly higher level thinking? Uh, yes, those are great things. So AI is great at finding patterns in unstructured data, which humans really struggle at doing. Um, humans are often able to unlock new forms of thinking in creative, creative ways that are not currently capable to be done by machine learning or gen AI. So those are the opportunities where we segment the division of labor. Um, I want to reference, I had the opportunity to interview Gary Kasparov, Grandmaster Champion of Chess, at an IBM event um, of all places. And he, his thinking is that we want to look for the centaur. And he believes the best chess player in the world will be a human. And she would also be using it the AI. And, she, and he wants to create a league where the humans with AI would be combating against another human with AI in a chess battle. And he believes that would be the greatest um, chess player ever. It's not just a human or not just an AI, but it's that centaur that's kind of a mixture of the species coming together. And I think Gary's right. So, well, Gary specifically in that context says that it's not about how, the, how good the AI is or how good the human is. It is around the process. So the quality of the process is what determines the ability for that centaur and the human and the AI working together to be more effective. So this comes bound to this idea of process in bringing together humans plus AI. So thinking about it from a large company perspective, how is it that we can design processes that bring together humans and AI into a, to create this centaur that can uh, transcend either humans or AI individually? In August, I went to the largest AI business conference that's independent from a tech vendor. And it was in focus, there was 2,500 business leaders who are leading AI at, at large companies and government organizations. Most of them are American, I want to add. And one of the biggest, biggest challenges right now is that the organization is not even set up correctly to prepare for AI. And what I found is that there's about three different three different models in which I'm seeing AI being grouped. The first one is product innovation. The second one is go-to-market, which is marketing, sales, customer care, partnerships. And the third would be loosely called enterprise, which is operations, finance, IT, legal, uh, security. So those three groups, groups is what I tend to see. There could be a fourth group, which would could be an overarching group that would be running a center of excellence for AI and or defining ethics and purpose that would cascade across all three of those groups. So to bucket those at those high levels, I think is correct what I'm seeing. And I've confirmed that with other leaders and note that they span multi-departments because AI is enterprise-wide. Now, this is just the context. Let me just set this up. Right. So in that room, one of the speakers who was leading analytics at a large makeup company, beauty company, pulled the room and said, how many of you have a center of excellence? And out of the 2,000 people, only 20 people raised a hand. So this tells us something quite interesting. And we saw this, by the way, in Web2 when I was a Forrester analyst. The social media of the corporation would reflect the culture of the, the company internally. And so the way that the social media accounts were rolled out, you can tell how that company was organized. 
The same thing is starting to happen with AI. So if a company is not organized correctly, and there's not a single source of truth from data, data modeling, cleaning the data, plus an ethics layer, and then making sure that the data is being fed back. This is all pre-back before it even touches any foundational model or machine learning. Then you have multiple versions of AI and it would be fragmented. So a fragmented organization results in a fragmented data set or fragmented data strategy, which would result in a fragmented AI experience across any of those three groups. And that's the biggest challenge that companies have right now. It's not so much about machine learning skills or the ability to generate prompts. It's that they're not set up correctly from the infrastructure at the get-go in most cases. And that even includes the large tech giants as well. They're so large and they allow innovation at the fringes of the organization that their data is spread across the organization. So the big soft skill here, Ross, is organizational leadership cross departments. That is the most important thing that is needed right now before they can even think about prompt engineering or using the tools. So it's around having a common data governance, uh, common data models, the data architecture. Yes. And then coordination across whatever AI models or libraries you're using across that. Thank you for succinctly articulating the exact steps. Um, I'm going to rely on you for that. Um, Ross, in addition, there, there's a lot of heat and interest right now for AI, and every corporation wants this. However, so a few weeks ago, I visited a colocation center in Santa Clara. So for those that don't know, Colo is where co- corporations have their servers. And I visited one that was focused on AI. Now, big companies are at a crossroads. Do they go to the giant tech scalers like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and give them data so they can train and learn their models against your own customer data. It's like paying rent to somebody while they sleep in your bed. That's basically what they think about it. Or do they train their own models with their own data and their own private colocation centers or on-premise data centers and servers where their data is safe? Now, the latter option is quite expensive. So right now there's a wait time of 30 to 50 weeks for NVIDIA chips. Yes, there are cheaper versions out there, but that's a long wait. And that wait, most of those chips are already been pre-purchased by the hyperscalers. Then you have to have the power and the server. So right now, a full stack of a server for AI is 1.25 million, if you can get it. And so the, the capital expenditures for a big corporation to lean into this, plus staff and ongoing maintenance, is millions of dollars of a bet. And that's just for one AI, for one of those products or groups that we talked about, let alone for the enterprise. So the issue here is that even if they get the organizational alignment and the set of criteria that you just listed out, the project could still be a business failure and the corporation may lose interest and appetite in a few years, resulting in a net negative project. So that's another business model issue that also has to be contended with. So... Generally, I mean, what are the parameters which would suggest whether an enterprise should be looking at using off-the-shelf models and off-the-shelf training as opposed to being able to build their own uh, models? So regulated industries, I have been speaking to head of AI at Financial and Pharma, and they're more likely to grab off-the-shelf open source. Right now, the common model, surprisingly, would be Llama or Llama 2, which is built by Facebook of all people, but they can download that from a repository. 
like Hugging Face and or Falcon. And there's other players out there that are offering banded suites that would do this on a safe cloud or a private cloud away from the big hyperscalers or set it up on-premise. So there's other things that could happen to do that. So that would require commitment, significant commitment from the C-suite to set that up unless there was an IT unit already ready to uh, deploy that. In most cases, a marketing group or a sales group will not have time to wait for enterprise to do that. That could take months, if not years. So they're more likely to go use a cloud by Salesforce, which is now offering AI, and or Adobe, which is now offering AI, in addition to the three hyperscalers that I prior mentioned. That's most, that's what's more likely going to happen. As a result, you'll see a fragmentation with the go-to-market team, which I broke apart, and the product team, which is more likely to have it on-premise because they have the infrastructure and then you have a breakage. Now, this results in a broken customer experience because the product might have AI integrated, but when it's time for customer care and marketing, those systems are not talking to each other and the customer is going to be quite frustrated. They don't care which department the AI belongs to. They just want their problems fixed. Very quick break to point you to AmplifyingCognition.com. You'll find a stack of resources to help you get to next level thinking, sense-making, and decision-making, including the Humans Plus AI learning community with extensive courses and events, free downloads from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thoughtweaver app to achieve more with AI, productivity programs for individuals and companies, and far more. Now back to the show. So, so one one of the things that you've uh, said is that uh, in this world we need to become a master at using the AI tools. So, what is that process? Is it all up for us individually to go out and learn how to engage? Do we enterprise need to roll out education programs? How do we how do we become masters at uh, using AI? I believe in the listeners of your show, of course, that they are curious and they are going to be. Whether even if you're not technical, you follow Ross and you're going to explore new ideas because Ross, you're a leader. And so I am sure people here are, or if they are not, they're trying some of the most basic tools and you should be becoming familiar with those. Um, I think it's also important for you to train your kids on these things. If they're under teen and you do it with them, you be careful. I do this for my young children. We're, we're doing prompts and doing, you know, creating stories or fun kids art using Gen AI and understanding how it works. And that same attitude of curiosity, safely doing this, it should be applied for you personally as well. Just like you learn the internet and email and use learn to use apps on your mobile phone and then social media, and then you might've learned Web3, now you need to use this next technology set. There's no question. Now, this one is a very simple interface. It's quite easy to use these tools aside from MidJourney. Most of them are just text-based chat. So yes, personal exploration is required for you to stay current in all things in life. And this is one that's coming at us quite quickly. Um, I also invested to take a continuing education class from an esteemed university. It actually did not cost me much. It was around 600 US dollars total, which is a, a tax write-off. And I paid out of pocket to do that. And that's something that I'm willing to do to make sure that I'm current. And for those that are working at companies, you should request that or use your educational um, credits to do that. 
and or require HR, request HR to offer classes. And there's no shortage of classes now, including those provided for free from Khan Academy, LinkedIn Learning and beyond. So there is no shortage of content to learn from. Uh, so those are the ways that that needs to happen. Yeah, no, I think that's a very sound advice, as in get in there and do it is uh, is the only way to, to learn. So you, you've done, uh, you've been talking a lot about AI agents in, in quite a few different contexts. Um, and perhaps take a step back as in, all right, what's an AI agent? Why is it important? Uh, and perhaps we can dig in from there. Yes, great question. What is an AI agent? Well, that term, um, you might have seen a movie where a science fiction movie called Matrix, where there is a independent agent and there's good agents and bad agents. There's some that would help the main character, Neo, and there's quite a few actually that were um, antagonists against the main character, uh, Agent Smith in particular, in all of his forms. Uh, and those agents, good or bad, operate independently with very little human oversight and they are like living creatures. In fact, there's a term used for them sometimes called baby um, artificial general intelligence, otherwise known as baby AGI, like infants, because it's the precursor of regular human intelligence. And these tools need little oversight. Um, the easiest way to, to try these is to use Agent GPT. You can just put that into a search tool and find that site, and you can try it out with the login or without a login. There's different variations. You can purchase additional credits. And the most common use cases are to book a complicated travel experience. For example, Ross, you travel quite a bit, so you know how travel works. But imagine somebody who is short on time or is new to travel. You could say, book me a trip to San Francisco um, from Bondi Beach. And it would list out, here's all the things you need, passports and, and vaccinations. Then it would go and find flights and then it would find hotels. And it would do all these things with little human intervention across multiple different sites and then what it surprisingly does in some cases, I asked it to help me improve my cardiovascular skills. It actually started to code. It started to code in Python, an app to track my fitness. I didn't ask it to do that. It started to code and generate code, which I would then grab. And then actually, if I had those technical skills then I could get it to actually build an app. So it's doing all those things without any human intervention. And that's what an autonomous agent is. And I hope that is a definition and example. So those are rising at a rapid pace. Now, there's another technology set, which you are all quite familiar with, called a foundational model. And the most common one is called GPT. And the foundational model has been trained on human, cap uh, human knowledge and intelligence. And then it's... Um, it's tokenized it and it creates you know, new variations on and it anticipates what are our needs. Now, those foundational models are starting to also become like autonomous agents. And you can see those markets are starting to merge. And I did a diagram called the AI tech stack. You can go search for it and find it. Um, and the foundational models currently are separated. But having sp spoken to some of the CEOs of those companies, you can see that they are quickly moving towards a AGI, which means they would also have that. So long story short, um, to summarize, autonomous agents are the precursor to artificial general intelligence, equal to human capability, and they're being developed quite rapidly. And they would be living next to us and supporting us. And I imagine, Ross, that we would have a different autonomous agent, just as we have 
as many email accounts or as, and as many social network accounts. As an example, Ross, you'll probably have a personal intelligence um, agent. You'll also have one for your personal business. And if you were working at a company, they would assign one to you and probably take it away from you after post-employment. You might have one provided to you by your healthcare provider that just focuses on that with a very dedicated set of data that's regulated by typically governments. And there might be some wacky fun ones out there as well that do some things that for personal interests. So right there, I can imagine three to five different personal agents that are working alongside of you. You have a pocket of experts, doctors, um, MBAs, geniuses at your disposal working for you while you sleep. Okay, that's that's a compelling vision if we can make it work the way we want it to work. So first, you know, one of the first questions come to mind is, again, the interface, the interface between the human and the agent. So will this be something where we can just use text or speech just to be able to tell it and it interprets it? Will it uh, ask us questions to clarify? How do we make sure that the agent is truly aligned with what we want, does understand our intentions, whether we, even if we're not a good communicator, how do we get that alignment with the uh, agent and ourselves? What I'm going to say now is going to unnerve some people, but for others, they'll find it a wonderful solution. So let's see which way you, Ross, you think on this. Okay. So having spoken to the leaders who are building these things, there's two things that are going to happen. One is it's going to look historically through your data. And also that means you would expose all your emails and it'll already find your public social media. And you personally have published quite a few things on your amazing website, including your awesome frameworks. So it would already grab that information. And as you allow it API access to your personal apps, it would get that. Secondly, it would compare that to other people that are like you. You and I have a common friend, Chris Saad, who's a thought leader in his own right when it comes to technology. And um, I consider you my, my very smart peer. And so we're similar in, in many ways when it comes to the business content that we produce and think about. And so from these different data sets, your personal historical data and those that are like you, it can start to ante anticipate what are your needs and what are you thinking. By the way, that's not new. Social networks in Google have been doing that for 25 years. Google is ancient, 25 years. And Facebook's been around since 2004, uh, 19 years. All right, so that's part one. So that's not that new, but we're going to expose a lot of information. Part two, this is where people get a little nervous, but in the, some of the foundational models, they will be listening and recording everything that you're doing in real time with your permission. So some of them will have the microphone on at all times so it can listen to the context of what's happening. Of course, this needs to be done legally and with rights and permissions so it can understand what are your needs. And maybe there's a camera on so it can understand your facial expressions. I can see you right now as we're recording and get real-time feedback, even though we're in different parts of the globe. It's a very important piece of data. And the AI will have that as well, including voice inflections, background noise, um, how much sleep you've had. And the more information that you give to the AI in real time, the more accurately it will be able to understand context and predict. And then, of course, finally, you would give it explicit prompts um, as those things you mentioned. So, Ross, given those three phases that I talked about, where do you lean on this, optimistic or pessimistic for that future? So, I think it completely depends on the how it is architected in the ownership. So if this is run by a current tech giant, 
I would be extremely cautious if we're able to build this into a decentralized system where I have you know some reasonable degree of data ownership or control, and uh, then I'm all for it. So it's it's. And that, that's one of the challenges is that I've believed so much in these, you know, decentralized, you know, d- data sovereignty and all of these things for a couple of decades now. And we've really seen very little progress in the big picture. So the, I, I think that, you know, the, the promise of what you describe is incredible in, in what, how it can amplify ourselves. The, the challenge is that can we do this without it being run by tech giants from which we can be, which way we question, uh, they really have our interests at heart. 100% agree. Um, <clears throat> that's a bigger topic and it's whole, and a whole podcast on its own. Um, uh, in short, I do see this movement, the AI movement headed towards centralized. It's already centralized, aside from some of the open source model. But what happens is those open source platforms become very strong. I mean, even Hugging Face has trained data, right? That's already kind of a centralized database in a way, right? So that's one issue. Big corporations are the ones that can afford to do the training. So that already results in training. And whoever gets the most data has the most accurate model. So there's a, a race to get the data. So I think there's a ways that you can segment your data and making sure that it doesn't get overly shared. But I think what's really key is business model. So this is where Facebook let us down. The business model is a free product. Now, if these AI agents, as we just discussed at our premium model and we pay, we know who's the actual customer. The issue is the rich people benefit first and they get compounding benefits versus those that don't have that money in emerging markets get are behind in the innovation curve, and then we create yet a tiered society. So this is why, again, going back to, is AI revolutionary? In many ways, it's amplifying and echoing what already exists in society. And I just want to make sure that that's clear, that we shouldn't just cast blame at the tools only. It's just doing what we have already been doing in society. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's that's great points. And, and, and what you, you know, what the vision you described, I think, is compelling. And the reality is that whether if it even if it is run by the tech giants, it is such a compelling proposition that most people will will basically go along for that ride. Yes, convenience and price are. When I was a forester analyst, we did research and on like privacy, and we asked people, "Is privacy important to you in the era of Web two and and digital?" And people said, "Yes, very important." And we said, "Well, how many of you have looked at your uh, security settings?" None. It was like under one percent. And how many have read the terms of service, which of course have become more challenging over time and not, not con- you won't, we can consume them now with GPT, uh, but that being aside, and then how many of you are willing to pay for a social network or email? No, 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 I want free. So that's kind of an issue that we have. Advice. So actually let's, let's pull this, uh, a lot of our advice is for individuals, but let, let's pull this to enterprise leader. So what is your advice to enterprise leaders in a world where AI is changing the nature of work, it's changing the nature of value creation? What are the things that need to be put in place? And, and, and from, from a, you know, understanding that the, the values that human can still bring in, a, in this world. Ross, that is such a big question. So um, at, at a high level, any AI project that's rolled out in enterprise needs to solve an existing pain. And so looking where there's breakage in perhaps customer care or where there's marketing breakage 
or sales breakage. And those are where you want to use AI to solve those problems because those are the only programs that'll sustain over three years is what, and because we're going to need that in order to, for it to be successful. So not just doing a skunk works. In fact, there's been a trend recently in corporate innovation programs where many of them are not separate budgets. In fact, they roll up to an existing uh, P&L, a product team in most cases, where the project can actually land and be incorporated versus the skunk works. The age of, the age of skunk works, and a lot of those skunk work projects got destroyed at, during the pandemic, those innovation outposts. And so now we're back to tying it back to business goals. So that's step one. Um, two is having a clear... So I'm not even actually sure. It, so I watched presentations at this AI4 conference from Deloitte, who obviously wants to sell consulting services around setting up AI centers of excellence. And they had a wonderful framework and a process, and it was very idealistic on getting all your stakeholders. But in the end of the day, there's a real challenge here, Ross, because the the data is owned by each BU and the customer relationship is passed by department to department to department to the department. And so it's not really clear who the, the sovereign data owner is because it, there's so many people involved. Can there be a single data owner across the enterprise? Is that the CIO? Is that the chief digital officer? Is that the chief strategy officer? Is that the chief AI officer, which is now a title, by the way? So even those roles are supposed to be horizontal across business functions. It's not clear who that individual is and if they can even keep the data aligned. So that is the second thing to figure out is data alignment. So those two things, aligning it to a real business problem and data alignment is like the two biggest things that you need. The third thing is uh, tying in purpose, the human side of this. So uh, when I think of how enterprises need to engage this space, we have a mission, which is AI for business and humanity. And in some of the projects I'm doing related to enterprise, that is the mission statement. And this means you need to be careful on how you even communicate this to employees, especially lower level employees are extremely sensitive um, to the topic of AI. In particular, entry level, most of those tasks will be automated and replicated by AI because they are rep they are repeatable processes. So instilling humanity from employee to executive, plus the partners, plus your customers and greater societal, they have to have this ring effect of how does AI impact all of those stakeholders is required, just as we did the same thing in many cases for sustainability. You had to look at those different rings of how you uh, align that for the organization. That same process needs to happen for AI. That's fantastic. Yes, as you said, it was a big question. I think it was a fantastic answer. And in terms of, you know, having the, you know, the, the, the value intent, the data alignment, I think is a really interesting issue, the way you've raised it. And it's, it's something which is obviously coming to the fore in the world of AI. And, and I love, uh, of course, that you've uh, ended with the, the focus on humanity, which has to be at the center. So what, um, where do people go to find out more about your work? Well, I, it's been a delight to spend time with you, Ross. You've asked such great questions. I'm available on most social channels as my first initial last name, which is J. Ao Yang. I also have a blog called Web-Strategist and a newsletter, but um, I can be available on those multiple channels. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. It's really been a great conversation. Uh, I, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. 
If you really want to amplify your cognition, go to amplifyingcognition.com, where you can access a trove of useful resources to make your mind better and more effective than ever before. If you liked this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you want to hear more of this. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.